and welcome back to the Breeze with Beverage Digest. I'm your host, Dwayne Stanford. This is where we talk beverage industry shop and bring you into the kinds of conversations that we have here every day at Beverage Digest. We dissect what's happening, connect dots, and ask the most important question, what does this mean? Today, I'm welcoming back John Sitcher, this time to discuss the lemon-lime soda category. John, as you may remember from last episode, has covered the industry for almost three decades, much of that time as a former editor and publisher of Beverage Digest. Since then, he's consulted for companies including Coca-Cola and Body Armor, and he served as an expert witness in beverage-related court cases. John, welcome back to The Breeze. Happy to be here, Dwayne. Thank you. So the big dog in the lemon-lime market initially for a very long time was 7-Up. It was founded in, in the late 20s. And uh, you'll remember maybe back in the 80s, the whole crisp and clean with no caffeine commercials that were so famous. Well, 7-Up began a decline in about the 1990s as Sprite began to take over. And, and Sprite had been around since the 1960s by this point. But in the 90s, it did something really smart and opportunistic. And that was by celebrating the hip-hop community and really figuring out a way to work itself into that community. They became sort of the official soft drink of rap. Curtis Blow, you may remember that a famous commercial with some rap lyrics where he dissed 7-Up in favor of Sprite. The brand also at this time tapped into the NBA. And at, at this point, Coke had been the NBA's soda partner uh, for a number of years. And in 1994, Sprite became the Basketball League's official soda partner and the official soda brand of the NBA. Sales grew, and the brand at this point was by far the lemon-lime leader in the U.S. 7-Up was sort of taking a back seat, as you'll recall. So in 2003, the brand also signed an endorsement with LeBron James. And LeBron James was one of the biggest superstars in basketball. So this elevated uh, Sprite among this community, the NBA, uh, even further. Fast forward to 1999, PepsiCo launched Sierra Mist because they wanted to figure out a way to get some kind of share back in this category. Uh, this brand was never really able to penetrate Sprite's dominance. It was always a bit of an also-ran. It went through formula changes. In recent years, it even changed its name. It went all natural for a time. All through this period, it was never really able to break significantly into Sprite's market share. And so Sprite just continued to rule the day. So that brings us to today. And fed up with Sierra Mist, perhaps PepsiCo decided they would just start from scratch and they would create a whole new lemon-lime soda. And they call it Starry. You may have seen it in stores now. It's in all the major supermarkets at C-stores. It's targeted primarily to Generation Z. That's the target audience they're shooting for. And of course, a lot of this is with the branding, the packaging look. It'll be very, it'll have a very heavy social media presence. Uh, that's what they're going for to see if they can go after Sprite. And they're clearly putting some investment behind this as well. Now, what's interesting is that PepsiCo 
actually took over the NBA sponsorship from Coke in 2015. Coke had, you know, 28 years the league had been with Coke. 2015, PepsiCo takes it over. And Mountain Dew became the official soft drink at that time, pushing Sprite out. Uh, But this year, PepsiCo has announced that Starry will now take on that official role as the soft drink of the NBA. So this has become really quite an interesting uh, uh, battle again when it comes to lemon-lime, John. And I'm wondering, do you think we have a legitimate lemon-lime war again? Well, you know something, I'm, you know, regarding Starry, one has to remember that PepsiCo for quite a long time has been making runs at the lemon-lime category. Back in the 60s, it had a lemon-lime soft drink called Team. And then it, in a few, and I think in the 80s, it introduced a product called Slice. Then uh, in the late, uh, late 90s, it tested a product in a bunch of markets called Storm. Storm never got beyond the test markets. Then, as you said, it launched Sierra Mist and now Starry. So I think Pepsi basically, you know, as we talked about in the last podcast, there are some brands in this business that are very hard to penetrate their huge market share. Gatorade is one, Mountain Dew is one, Dr. Pepper is one, and certainly Sprite. Sprite, my guess is, is probably close to an 80 share of the lemon-lime category. I'm, I'm glad to see Pepsi basically mixing up, mixing up again with Starry. I think competition's great, but it's not going to be simple to gain share against Sprite. So Team, Slice, Storm, <laughs> you saw a lot of these iterations. What is it that's been so, or, or why has it been so challenging for PepsiCo to figure out a lemon-lime player that can really compete with the likes of Sprite, do you think? You know, Dwayne, it's really an interesting question. In this business, there seems to be certain brands that have very substantial dominant market shares and are hard to dislodge. Coke, for many years, tried to come up with a competitor for Mountain Dew and really never succeeded. Coke, for many years, used Powerade to try to dent Gatorade's market, dominant market share. I think Sprite is a, has a couple of advantages. It's been very well marketed for many years, as you've said. It's, it's, um, it has the advantage of being in the powerful Coke system. It has the advantage of being in almost all Coke fountain accounts, restaurant accounts. And Sprite has just basically been a very, very strong dominant brand in the lemon-lime category for a long time. You touched on something that's, I think, pretty important, and that's the role of Sprite at Fountain. I mean, Coca-Cola is the dominant player in the U.S. fountain industry. I mean, they've got their uh, soft drinks and, you know, McDonald's, of course, uh, on a handshake agreement that goes back way back. Um, they have, you know, somewhere around 70 percent of the fountain market. Um, you know, PepsiCo's, you know, pushed really hard in recent years to try to, to make some ground up in that area. Uh, but that probably has helped in a large way to keep Sprite on top right. uh, and, and to create trial with young people as well, I would think. Uh, definitely. And to your point, Dwayne, you know, I think PepsiCo is probably in the next year or two going to once, once again make a run at trying to dislodge um, some of Coke's dominant market share in the fountain business. But 
to succeed in fountain, you have to have a lemon lime. You have to have a credible lemon lime soft drink because of the importance for lemon limes, uh, lemon, lemon lime soda for kids. So Sierra, Sierra Mist really never resonated in a major way. Um, and I think what Pepsi's saying is, we need to compete in lemon lime. If we're going to compete in fountain, we have to have a lemon lime. And I think they're going to they're going to make a they're going to make a run at it with Starry. So, uh, do you think that Fountain, in terms of this drink being able to truly break into Sprite's dominance, does that mean necessarily that they are going to have to? continue to grow their presence in fountain do the, or is it as simple as getting it into their accounts that they have now and just making sure it's very front and center um it, are you always going to have a situation where sprite's going to lead this market in large part because of that huge fountain presence i think sprite's going to be the dominant lemon lime for a very long time to come and probably forever but i think to your point i think that my guess is Pepsi's Fountain customers want a well-marketed um, lemon-lime soda. And I think if Pepsi wants to basically try to gain some share in the fountain business, they're going to have to go into a fountain accounts with a portfolio which is just includes not just Pepsi Diet, Pepsi, and Mountain Dew, but also a well-marketed, credible lemon-lime. And I think my guess is that's part of the motivation behind Starry. It's a great point. It's almost as if, you know, if you're PepsiCo, you don't actually have to beat Sprite at retail for this to work. You just have to make sure, as you said, that your fountain customers, the restaurants out there that you have, have that credible lemon lime and have something that uh, can be competitive with the restaurant down the street that has Sprite, basically. I th right, exactly. I mean, I think Sprite's dominance is safe. As I said, I think they probably have close to an 80 market share in lemon lime. You know, if PepsiCo can use Starry to get five or six share points, seven or eight share points even, it would be a very big success. But Sprite's dominance is going to continue. Yeah, it's almost like you, you need Star. If you're PepsiCo, you need Starry to be able to go in and, and win some more accounts from Coke because you, if you're able to have that credible lemon line that you talked about, you have a better chance of doing that, especially in accounts that are you know, really important with multicultural demographics, that's important. But then if you can also take a few share points on the retail side, then that's obviously always a good thing. It helps your, uh, your cash flow. It takes uh, investment resources away from your competitor. And that's kind of a lot of what these companies are trying to do, right? Just limit the amount of uh, investment that the, that the other guy has. That's exactly right. I remember for many, many, many years, I think last year was an exception because of coming out of COVID. But for many, many years, probably two decades, there has, there has not been volume growth in the carbonated soft drink category. So it's become a game of winning share from your opponent. So if, if, if Pepsi does a great job executing Starry, and they can win some share points from Sprite, that translates into growth. And I think that's also part of their motivation. Yeah. And again, these companies are constantly trying to figure out how to allocate resources. I mean, that's obviously very important. But uh, the more that you could take some share points and create more resources for you, I mean, that could translate into 
how you decisions you make in other major brands as well in terms of how you allocate that investment, right? Exactly right. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. We haven't mentioned, you mentioned it in your introduction, but we haven't mentioned 7-Up or I haven't mentioned 7-Up. I mean, back in the Stone Age when I bought Beverage Digest, um, 7-Up was a much bigger brand. 7-Up once upon a time was a top 10 brand. It was uh, probably over close to 250 million cases, about the size of Coke Zero today. And 7-Up has gone through a long, long period of decline for a couple of reasons. I mean, a lot of people don't remember this, but some Coke bottlers, before Sprite was introduced, some Coke bottlers uh, handled 7-Up. A lot of Pepsi bottlers handled 7-Up. And as time went on and Coke and Pepsi wanted to basically only handle the, their bothers to handle their own brands, Seven Up slipped out of the of the cola systems, um, and it's in the white system now, the independent system, which does a very good job at retail, but does not have the reach of the Coke and Pepsi systems, and that and that that over the years has caused probably the main thing that's caused the decline in Seven Up. That's interesting. So. You know, a lot of times some of this competition comes down to the distribution systems, obviously. And exactly. What sort of capacity do you have to get it in front of customers? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the reach that the Coke and Pepsi system have, you know, the, the, the independent system does a very good job in supermarkets. But in terms of reach into the C&C stores, vending machines, um, and the, the Coke and Pepsi system simply have more reach. And as I said... 7-Up's a great brand, but not having access to a cola system has uh, been a, the primary reason for the decline in 7-Up over the years. Would there ever been, have been a time that PepsiCo could have struck some sort of deal, similar to you know how they handle Dr. Pepper, uh, struck some sort of deal with Keurig Dr. Pepper, which owns 7-Up, of course, to uh, you know distribute 7-Up? in fountain accounts or what would be the barriers to that kind of thinking? Or is it just simply Pepsi's going to want to build their own brand because they want that uh, as much of that profit pool for themselves as possible? You know, it's an interesting question. I think Pepsi's wanted to build their own brand. You know, it's, there's a fascinating history to this and I'm, I'll just take a few seconds to basically talk, Mm -hmm. talk about it. Back in the 1980s, Coke tried to buy Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo tried to buy 7-Up. The U.S. antitrust authorities blocked those deals. So we have a situation today where PepsiCo owns 7-Up almost every place in the world outside the U.S., and Keurig Dr. Pepper owns 7-Up in the U.S. So neither company has been able to basically build a global brand in 7-Up. 7-Up's a terrific brand. Keurig Dr. Pepper's done a great job with it. But I think that's another, that's another point, that it's, it can't be a global brand because its ownership is split between PepsiCo and Keurig Dr. Pepper. Yeah, excellent point. In, in fact... 7-Up just rebranded kind of a very modern rebranding approach overseas internationally. And of course, that was PepsiCo doing that, that owns those brand rights there. Um, I I don't expect to see that anytime soon here in the U.S. Um, You never know. But that that does create a kind of really interesting bifurcation of that brand. Uh, And, you know, Sprite, of course, through this period of, uh, you know, dominance also 
you know, is a global brand. And that's very important, especially these days for a company like Coca-Cola that's looking to um, sort of consolidate, uh, sort of have more of a central centralized playbook that's then localized uh, to have a big global brand like Sprite. Uh, that you can get those kind of synergies and economies of scale with when it comes to marketing, advertising, you know, even communications that that's been pretty important lately. And of course, you've seen what they've done now with a, an entire rebrand of Sprite, Sprite Zero Sugar uh, globally as well. So that really, to your point, really wouldn't work with a brand like 7up, which is probably going to put it at a bit at a, at a continued disadvantage to these other brands. Exactly. Um, and, you know, as we talked about last week, when we were talking about sports drinks, um, you know, PepsiCo has done a really good job with Gatorade. Coke does a really good job with Sprite. And Coke and the Coke bottlers are very competitive. And they're not going to, they're going to try to basically prevent Starry from making much of an inroad. Um, and I think they'll largely be successful. I don't discount PepsiCo's um, execution ability or marketing ability, but the Coke bothers and, and Coke are going to be very protective of Sprite. Yeah. What are some of the tactics you would expect to see that, that will be quite interesting. I'll tell um, I'll I'll <laughs> because tell that's happened many times. I mean, these companies get pretty good at figuring out how to stymie people's launches, right? I'll tell you a little story. Back in the late 1990s, um, PepsiCo decided to launch a new lemon lime called Storm. And Storm was differentiated from Sprite and 7-Up in that it was a lemon lime with caffeine. And PepsiCo decided to basically launch Storm in a bunch of test markets. Um, and a Coke bottler, who shall remain nameless, in one of those test markets told me, with it, I asked him, how they were going to compete with PepsiCo's launch of Storm in his market. And he chuckled and said to me, the day they launch Storm, Sprite will be free. Well, Sprite wasn't free, but the, but, but, but Coke did everything they needed to do with, with advertising, marketing, promotion, promotional pricing to, make it, to, make, to, to, to be sure that Storm did not make much of an inroad. And Storm basically was taken out of the market before it ever became a national brand. Do you foresee Sprite and Coke using that kind of a pricing level lever now, especially, you know, given the very rational pricing environment that we're in, uh, a pricing environment where, uh, you know, uh, they're meeting their uh, higher inflationary costs on input costs by raising prices to try to cover that. You know, you've got uh, a, a situation where prices are going up on soft drinks. Consumers seem to continue to pay them. The elasticity models uh, are not doing what they had expected. Um, do you think you still have an environment where you can, if your Sprite pull that pricing level uh, when it comes to Starry and try to uh, slow down that launch and slow down what they can do at launch? You know, rather than speculate what Coke will do, I think if I were sitting in in Coke's headquarters in Atlanta, I'd be watching very carefully what kind of deals PepsiCo is lining up with retailers for Starry for the summer holiday weekends. Um, I'd, I'd be doing intelligence on what kind of pricing PepsiCo and its bothers are looking at for Starry, and I'd be very sure that I had 
aggressive promotions ready to go with Sprite, uh, depending upon what it looked like PepsiCo and its bothers are going to do with Starry uh, late this spring and over the summer. PepsiCo is clearly investing in this launch, of course, as they will do with major launches. They did it with Life Water. I mean, you see pretty high ACV pretty quickly across, especially large format. You've seen the displays pop up at the grocery stores, um, you know, incremental floor displays. You know, they're going all out. That'll, you know, create, of course, create some excitement and lift early on. We've seen before that launches like that that eventually level off and sometimes, you know, I think as you used to call it, boom splat sort of scenarios. Um, what, what do you expect will happen in this situation? Look, I think that, I think one, to answer that question, we're going to have to watch and see what PepsiCo does with Starry, not just this summer, but for in, in 2024, 2025, and 2026. When Coke Zero was launched, there was a bit of there was a bit of boom splat. It, it gained some share and then started falling back. Coke basically decided that Coke Zero was going to be one of its main brands, and they stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it. And today, Coke Zero is probably a 260, 250 million case brand. If PepsiCo basically looks at Starry as a three or four or five year build and keeps at it. They will they will gain some share, um, but as I said, I don't think they'll gain a lot of share. But if they can gain five or six share points and use Starry in the fountain business effectively, um, I think Starry will be here to stay. If they don't do that, my guess is four or five years from now we'll be talking about the next PepsiCo lemon lime. Mm-hmm. So. Back to Seven Up for just a minute. I'm kind of curious. What do you think? What is the role for Seven Up when it comes to KDP these days? Is it, you know, basically it gives them a, a really good supermarket play? I mean, you see plenty of Seven Up on the shelf, so it's creating an option uh, for consumers. Um, you know, not so much a fountain play. Uh, you know, if you're KDP, what? How are you viewing Seven Up? What's the role of it? Is there any? room if this works to actually uh, capitalize on that yourself if you're KDP if if this starry versus sprite thing actually takes off and and you know makes starry can make up some ground does seven up capitalize somehow you know again as you said a few minutes ago to, to understand this industry you've got to look at distribution um Keurig Dr. Pepper has several rel large and relatively large carbonated soft drink brands. The biggest is Dr. Pepper. But Dr. Pepper is largely distributed by Coke and Pepsi bottlers. So the independent system does not have much Dr. Pepper. 7-Up is a lead brand for many independent bottlers who, don't, who do not have Dr. Pepper. And it's in a very important brand in supermarkets and in other retail channels for independent bottlers. Um, I think that Seven Up is. I think Seven Up has a lot of brand loyalty. I, it's, it's not a huge brand anymore, but I think it will it will hold its own. Um, maybe grow a little bit over the years. Maybe not. I don't. I don't see it becoming a bigger, much bigger brand again. But it will hold its own. It has a place in the in the carbonated soft drink business today. So looking at Starry now, Starry is going to be geared towards Gen Z. Um, 
it, you know, the brand is set up in such a way that, you know, it should be, it's supposed to be inspiring for them, et cetera. I think one of the other things at play here, which, you know, they would, uh, PepsiCo is not actually going to be out front talking about so much, but it's clearly an element. And this is the multicultural element. Um, you know, uh, PepsiCo now has the MBA, of course. Uh, they have a Hispanic business unit that is very good at understanding Latino and Hispanic markets, understanding the diversity within those markets, understanding how to be relevant uh, to those markets. Uh, so there, you, you see a situation lining up here where you almost need a story and you need a story to be positioned in the way it is to make sure you capitalize on these very important demographic trends here in the U.S. Uh, in that regard, if they can pull this off, this could be uh, quite an interesting path to that, you know, five or six share points, whatever it might be as you talk about. You know, Dwayne, let's go back for a minute to your December conference in New York. You had a panel of um, three Gen Z uh, young adults on the panel. By the way, I got to commend you. I thought it was one of the best um, segments of any beverage conference I've been to in many, many years. But you asked these young Gen Z uh, folks a bunch of questions. And if my memory is correct, they did not wax particularly enthusiastically about soft drinks, carbonated soft drinks. So I'm curious to know what PepsiCo is going to do to try to basically create a brand that's going to appeal to Gen Z. Um, we may have to wait to see the answer on that, um, but I think it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, I think uh, to the Gen Z point, I think you're right. You've got a real, I mean, Gen Z, obviously, in some ways you talk about it as a monolith because that's just kind of an easy way to describe this new generation. But, you know, clearly Generation Z has uh, plenty of variants to it. And I think I would say that probably what Starry is doing is really homing in in large part on multicultural Gen Z consumers. And that's going to be the sweet spot, I think, for this brand. But you've also got, they've got the zero sugar version, which, you know, is appealing to Gen Z, less sugar. Um, and so I think for all those reasons, you know, they, they have a, a, a chance at uh, making a go at this. Now, whenever you create a new brand and, you, you know, you, you think in these marketing groups that you've kind of figured out a generation, I think it's hard to say uh, that that's always successful. And there's, you know, a certain amount of risk in that as well. Uh, and, you know, of course, these days it's all about being organic and authentic and uh, young people are, are, you know, quite fickle as many consumers are. And, and uh, you know, they're on to the new next best thing. So the question is, can you find a way to really be relevant to them as they shift uh, from trend to trend too? And, and can you keep that brand relevant as that Gen Z uh, matures and uh, moves into new sorts of trends as well. And is Starry, does Starry and this brand new platform give you an ability to do that while shedding sort of the baggage uh, of a previous brand ID? I think that's going to be clearly the, the key for PepsiCo here. And again, you know, just see if they can uh, execute against that over time. I think that's right. I also think that um, PepsiCo, I mean, Sierra Mist has not been a success. Um, so if you, if, you, if you take away Sierra Mist, PepsiCo needs to have a brand which, which can access younger kids who are, whose parents may not want them to drink a caffeinated drink. And I think that 
if again, if PepsiCo can be can have a successful story, accessing that the, the younger consumers, I think, could be uh, a benefit that they could achieve. Hey, John, thanks so much. Uh, really appreciate you joining us again today. Interesting conversation as always, and I'll, I'll look forward to more. The Breeze is produced by Beverage Digest. Visit our website to learn more about our products and subscribe to our newsletter. That's www.beverage-digest.com.